The uh, sound man and Chris promised me that they had a special filter they would put on the sound equipment this morning and that uh, it would make me sound just like a Minnesotan. <laughs> Is it working? <laughs> Good to be with you today. We're looking at the book of Philippians as we go through the Bible this year. We come to the book of Philippians. If you have your Bible, open it up. We'll be reading from chapter 1 and chapter 2 in a little while and hope you'll open your Bible and follow along with us. If not, it'll be on the screen when we read them. I might read them from the screen. That print's bigger than my Bible. I need that sometime. But anyway, now, if you're like me, you really struggle with living the Christian life from day to day. I do. You know, I, I'm a sinner. I find myself doing things I don't want to do. I find myself not doing a lot of things that I know I should do. And living a Christian life is not easy, and I struggle with it. If you're like me, there's a part of this sermon that'll be especially for you today, okay? I'll tell you when we get there. Enough said about that. Now, in our way through the Bible, we're in Philippians. Now, this is one of the letters that Paul wrote. And uh, now, when you get into Paul's writings, it's a little bit different. A lot of books of the Bible, you know, they, they're very well connected. If you sat down to outline them, you'd have an easy job of it. You could outline them perfectly and easily. Paul's writings are not like that. Paul is a very impulsive kind of man, and he very much feels what he's writing about. So he'll start off, and he'll be writing along, and suddenly when he gets about there, there's a thought comes to him. I need to tell him this. So boy, he takes off over here chasing that for a while. Now, if you stay with him, he'll circle around and he'll come back right about where he was. Now, that's hard to do. But when you're reading it, what you do is when he chases rabbits, you keep looking for that idea that he just left. You keep looking for those words that he just left. And in a little while, you'll see that he picks it up and goes on with that idea. So it's not as disconnected as it looks sometimes. So when we read this, look for themes, repeated words, that kind of stuff that keeps us on track. Now to the text for the day. We read first of all Philippians chapter 1. We'll begin reading in verse 1. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Jesus Christ including the elders and deacons. Think about that for a moment. How would we start a letter? Well, we'd start it to the leadership and then to the people. Paul writes it exactly the opposite way. He writes to the people and also to the leadership. May God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy. For you have been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. And I am certain that God, who began the good work within you, will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ returns. So it is right that I should feel as I do about all of you, for you have a special place in my heart. You share with me in spreading in the special favor of God, both in my imprisonment and in defending and confirming the truth of the good news. God knows how much I love you and long for you with the tender compassion of Christ Jesus. 
I pray that your love will overflow more and more and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until the day that Christ returns. May you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ. For this will bring much glory and praise to God. Now, as you read this, it's all about relationships. This entire passage is focused on relationships. In chapter 2, when we get to it, focuses on exactly the same thing, on relationships. Now, most of us try to make Christianity about things we do. You know, uh, the Bible name for that kind of stuff is works. We try to make it about works. Now, we try to make it about being baptized, something you do. We try to make it about uh, rules, something you do. We try to make it about going to church, something you do. He mentioned I was Southern Baptist. When I was a boy growing up as Southern Baptist, you went to church a bunch. Let me tell you. You went to Sunday school on Sunday morning. Then you went in to worship service on Sunday morning. Sunday night, you came back for what we called training union. Then after training union, you had evening worship. Then on the middle of the week, you had midweek Bible study and prayer. Then you had a youth group to go to sometime during the week. You know, being a good Christian had to do with how much you could endure, how much your seat could actually take in sitting in church. And back then we had hard pews. We didn't have nice soft chairs, you know, we had a hard pews. So the, guy, the best Christian was the guy with the hardest bottom. <laughs> and the guy who had learned to sleep through a lot of that. Now, all of those things were things we did, though. Look at the difference Paul paints for us here. This letter is from Paul and Timothy, slaves of Christ Jesus. What does he see Christianity as? As a relationship with Jesus, who is Christ the Savior, who is also Lord, boss, the one in control, the one in command. Why? Because Jesus had the right to command because Jesus was God in the flesh. He was the creator of this universe. The Bible says that he is the one who holds it all together. So rightly, Paul said, yeah, this is the king. I'm his slave because he is the commander. He is the one in control. Now, he sees the people in Philippi in a very similar situation. He says, I'm writing to all of God's holy people in Philippi who belong to Christ Jesus, including the elders and deacons. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. He's writing to a people who also are in a similar situation. They see themselves as belonging to Christ Jesus. They've acknowledged Jesus Christ as the Messiah, as Savior, as Lord, as boss, as the one in control. They've acknowledged that. And he prays for them a gift that is given to them, and that is grace and peace. See, it's a gift. Grace is not something you work for, not something you earn, not something you deserve. It's free gift. And a part of that gift that he gives us is forgiveness because that comes along with grace, but it also comes as relationship. Now, you know, Paul writes in here that he was 
a servant, a slave. That's how Paul saw himself. How does God see him? Well, God sees Paul not as a slave, but as a child. One who lives in a loving relationship with him. He sees him as someone he, he loves. Someone that he loves so much that he gave his life on the cross and was crucified for that one. See, when we receive that forgiveness, we also receive a new relationship. The Bible says that we're born of God. Born a spiritual birth. We become children of God. And along with that grace comes peace. Peace, why? Because now we're in a good relationship with God. We feel comfortable with God. Not always, but most of the time. Peace through him. Now, that peace is not dependent upon circumstances, and that's a, a thing through here. We have peace because we feel secure in the love that God has for us. And if our Christianity is based on that other stuff I talked about, about works, about keeping the rules, we fail. About sitting in church and enjoying it, we fail. If it's about all of that stuff, we're going to fail. What, does that put us in jeopardy? No, because we're loved children of God. Not love because of what we do, but love because we're his children. Simply that. And God loves his children more than you love your children. What could that child do of yours do to make him stop being your child? Nothing. Because you love them that much. Now, they're loved, and he grants them grace and peace. But there's another relationship that is central to this section, and that is Paul's relationship with the Philippians. Now, Paul and these people in Philippi had been through some times together, let me tell you. Now, when Paul first came to this town, he began to preach. He went out by the river. He found a group of people. They became Jewish people who were worshiping there, they became believers in Jesus Christ. And that core group began to grow. It began to get bigger. But then Christianity and Paul's preaching began to challenge the culture of exploitation of the weak and helpless for money. And when that happened, a riot broke out. And Paul was at the very center of it. And these people in the church were at the very center of it. And Paul and his companions were caught up in that ride and they were beaten. They were arrested. They were beaten some more. They were placed in a dungeon and they stayed in that dungeon until God released them. People of Philippi stayed with Paul through that. Now, when you've been through a crisis like that in your life, there's a closeness and a bond there, isn't it? A bond that cannot be broken easily. Because you've been through the same crisis together. And now Paul is in prison again. The guy couldn't stay out of jail. You know, we're upset if some of our pastors are getting jailed. Back then, it was just a normal thing, you know, the pastor. He goes to jail periodically. Paul's in prison again, not in a dungeon or anything like that. Paul is probably in Rome. He's under house arrest. He's got to pay for it. But he can't go where he wants to go. People can come see him. He can't go visit these churches. He can only write them letters. And these, these Philippian people stay with him and go through him through that. 
While he's in prison, Paul writes this. Every time I think of you, I give thanks to my God. Whenever I pray, I make my request for all of you with joy, for you've been my partners in spreading the good news about Christ from the time you first heard it until now. Paul had a close relationship with these people. They'd been through a lot together. And you can picture from these words, Paul sitting in prison, locked up, and a smile comes to his face. A smile to his face. Why? Because he's beginning thinking about these people. And when he begins to think of them, it gives him joy. Why? Because of the relationship that he has with them. When he thought of them, he began to pray for them. He gave thanks to God that they were involved in his life and he was involved in their life. See, joy is a theme in this book. Even though he's in prison, he's joyful. It was a relationship with Jesus through faith and a relationship with the church that brought joy to his life. See, happiness is not about the circumstances that you live under. It's about the relationships that you have in life. They are what make life rich and good and the things you'll remember. Let's go on to another set of relationships. And that's talked about in Philippians chapter 2. And this is the relationship. We talked about Paul and the people's relationship to God. We've talked about the relationship of Paul to the church. Now we want to talk about the relationship of the people within the congregation. That's in chapter 2. Begin at verse 1. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ and any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another and working together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Dear friends, you always followed my instructions when I was with you. And now that I am away, it is even more important. Work hard to show the results of your salvation, obeying God with deep reverence and fear. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights in a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life. Then on the day of Christ's return, I would be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. 
I w- but I will rejoice even if I lose my life, pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. Now, he starts this up here, any encouragement, uh, any fellowship. He's talking about there that if you're really experiencing the Christian, the benefits of knowing Jesus, then this is the basis of living in relationship with others. See, if you're in a good love relationship with Jesus, then you should be in a love relationship with, with others. He begins here by beginning to name off all of the things that you ought to do. And I think as he begins naming them off and they come to mind, he's going along and all of a sudden he stops. And he says, you know, thinking to himself, this is a long list. How can I summarize all of this? And to his mind comes, you know, have the mind of Christ. Have the same attitude in you that Christ Jesus had. You know, now, that sums it up, doesn't it? Doesn't that sum up all of his long list of things we are to do to one another? Doesn't that sum up how to have a good relationship with other people? You take the same attitude that Jesus did. Jesus, Lord of the universe, a servant. Jesus, King of kings, humbled himself. Jesus, the almighty creator, sustainer, lived as a servant. And Paul said, if you want to have good relationships with others, you take the same attitude towards life that Jesus did, and you will have good attitudes and good relationships with others. See other people as Jesus sees them. Now, think about your home. How would it be if everybody in that home saw themselves as a servant to everyone else? Think about work. If everybody at work saw themselves as a servant of other people, in your neighborhood, in your community, in those things, and you say, you know, that's just not practical. That'll never work out. And I agree. It is not practical. But there's little about living in the kingdom of God that is practical. Now, I want to say some more about that. Pastor always ends with some takeaways. I got a couple of takeaways for you. That was a sermon. Now you got to listen to the addendum, okay? Uh, now you got some takeaways here. And the first takeaway is related to that. I've just been talking about it, and that is, When you live your life in the kingdom of God, and that's what we're all as believers to be doing, we live by a different set of guidelines than the rest of society. Read the Sermon on the Mount. What does he say? Love your enemy? Come on. Not a bunch of jihadists, you know. Love my enemy? Live for God's approval? not for, God, for people's approval. Totally the opposite, see, of the standards. If you read that, that's totally the opposite of the standards by which our society lives. And Jesus wasn't just blowing air. He was saying, this is the way you ought to live. He was saying, live as servants. 
see yourself as a servant and all of your relationships change. You'll say, well, they took advantage. People will take advantage of you. They will. Took advantage of Jesus and they killed him. Put him to the cross and tortured him to death. That leads to the second takeaway. In the kingdom of God, things are not always what they seem on the surface. On that first Good Friday, they took advantage of the fact that God became a human being and became very vulnerable. They killed him, tortured him to death. To all visible things, Jesus' kingdom and his preaching was destroyed. To all visible things, what he had taught was gone. But on Easter Sunday, things changed. They were not as they seemed on that Good Friday, see? On that, he, he rose from the grave and he was the Messiah. And instead of establishing a new nation, he established a new kingdom. A kingdom that goes on and on and on that we're a part of today. But it didn't appear that way in the beginning. From seeming defeat, verse 8 he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. Therefore, God elevated him to the place of the highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Christ Jesus is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Third takeaway. In the kingdom of God, your quality of life should not be dependent on the circumstances of life. This letter of Philippians was written by a man in prison. From his terminology, it is apparent that he realizes that he could be sentenced to death and killed. He's locked up. He's not free. But joy is a major theme in the letter. Paul is full of joy. The joy did not come from his circumstances. He didn't say, man, I'm glad I'm in prison. The joy came from serving God, from doing what Jesus had wanted him to do and seeing what was happening in the life of believers into his ministry. Joy that came from the presence of Jesus, the living Lord within him. Fourth takeaway, last one. Now, I told you a while ago, if you were people who really struggled living the Christian life, I had one for you. This is it. Okay. If you're a person who struggles, who disappoints yourself, and I'm the biggest disappointment to me there is, is me. If you find yourself doing things that you don't want to do and not doing things you want to do, listen to this. The fourth takeaway is this life is possible. You can do it. Look at chapter 2, verse 13. For God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. Man, I come back to this verse often, <laughs> usually several times a week, sometimes several times a day, because it tells me something. Even when I disappoint myself, what's happening? God is at work in me. God is working. 
Now, a lot of times, I wish he would hurry up. You know, come on, let's get this job done. Change me. But this assures me, God is at work in me. God's at work in you. And one of the, he does a couple things for me. One, he makes, gives me the desires to do the things he wants me to do. Have you ever prayed, Lord, help me to want what you want? When you're going through a difficult time in life, when decisions are before you that you must make, and you say, Lord, help me to want what you want. And you know what happens? Your mind begins to change. (laughs) He answers the prayer. He creates in you the desire. But even more than that, when God wants you to do something, he gives you the power to do it. Now, God gives me, helps you to have that mind of Christ, the power to do it. See, I cannot change myself. I've tried. I fail. But when I open myself to God, he can and he will. And the promise of Jesus Christ is he wants to change your life if you let him. How do you enter in that relationship? At the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord.